Alright everybody, so do you wanna actually get a masterclass where we actually learn about sales and motivational speaking? Both. All inclusive. Well, I got the answer to that and I got an amazing gift for you. Victor Antonio has come with us today to actually share with us his amazing journey from electrical engineer to actually a sales machine, his amazing journey like motivational speaker and why speaking to a smaller stage is actually harder than speaking to a bigger stage. Now there's a lot of value bombs here and I can't wait to share it with you but I gotta leave you now because I'm going to post something really soon. So see you soon my network and I'll let you listen to the interview. Bye bye. All right, Victor, I want to say one big welcome to the show, mate. And we're chasing 80 episodes. You're part of that journey, and I thank you for that. But before I actually jump in, okay, first, please say one big hello to the audience of 500 people. And second, tell them something interesting about yourself. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Glad to be on the podcast, so thank you for having me. Thank you. Let me see. One thing about myself, uh, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, here in the United States. Uh, my family is originally from Puerto Rico, a small island in the Caribbean, and I love sales, and I've written 13 books on sales and motivation, and again, I'm glad to be here. Well, let's talk more about how you came to where you are right now. I want to learn your story, but I mean your business journey. Where, did, where and when did that start Okay, so when my family moved from Puerto Rico, we were... We were very poor. We're talking very poor. And so I'm the youngest of seven. And so I remember my mother telling me, reminding me, you know, that I had to go to school, had to go to college, get an education if I wanted to be successful in the United States. And so when I graduated from high school, I almost didn't go to college, but, you know, my mother convinced me to go to college. And so I got an engineering degree and an MBA. And then I started working as an engineer first in corporate America, became very good at it. Uh, I was designing wireless systems, traveled all over the world doing that. Eventually, I moved into sales. And, you know, and then about maybe 13 years ago, I decided to start my own company as a sales trainer and consultant. And that's what I've been doing since. Thank you. So basically, I want, okay, before I actually jump into the company, I want to ask you, why exactly engineering and electrical one especially? What did <laughs> like drive you there? Because it's hard this, subject, I, mate. No, uh, I, I, I almost, I don't want to admit this, but I will admit it to you, my friend. And that is, I mentioned that we were very poor. And I remember asking one of my teachers, you know, what occupation, what job makes the most money? And he said, well, engineers make a lot of money. I said, okay, I think I want to be an engineer. And I remember I looked at civil engineering. I said, no, mechanical engineering, no, aerospace engineering. I said, no. And then I just settled on electrical engineers. I said, do electrical engineers make a lot of money? He said, yes. And to be honest, that was my real motivation for getting an engineering degree. Well, do was it like really hard? Because you know, I've heard that engineering is one of the toughest degrees in the whole freaking world. You know, it doesn't matter with what <laughs> engineering, because it's really high pressure. You know, the math, the calculus. So, how was it for you? Were you like it, it, passionate about it? Oh, no, I was not passionate about it. I was passionate about making money. And so, what We're happened? All passionate about making money. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what happened is that. Uh, I didn't know, you know how you just don't know what you're getting into. 
I didn't know how hard it was. You know, I didn't, I didn't bother to ask that question. I just did it. And I had good grades in high school. And so when I got to college, my first half year was horrible. I was failing almost every course. And so I went to my counselor and I said, you have to go back and take what they call pre-college courses, very basic, like courses like, you know, pre-calculus, you know, I had to take basic courses. And so typically people would graduate in four years. It took me five and a half years to graduate because I had to like take a step back and take basic courses for the first year. And so, and it was good that I did that because, you know, it allowed me to go through the degree easier if I can say it that way, but it was hard. It's, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And anybody who's taken calculus, you know, you know, uh, calculus, transformational calculus and, you know, multispatial calculus, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but, you know, when you look at, you know, those tech models, you know, those uh, like the high tech models and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, they actually got an engineering degree, you know, and I'm like, wow, this guy's like them. <laughs> Anyways, you know, the MBA and the engineering degree, that's the most we can see like in the Silicon Valley, you know. So Correct. Let's, yep. let, let's go into your company, though. I want to know the business journey. So the business journey there was, uh, so, so, I, so I graduate as an engineer and, you know, and I start doing electrical engineering work. And after two or three years, Nikki, I realized I didn't like it. You know what I mean? You know how you do something for the money and now you start doing it. I start doing the engineering work and I don't like it. I'm very unhappy. And so for the first, that was after three years. For the next two years after that, I, I was moving around from job to job, just trying to figure out what is it that I want to do? You know how you just feel lost? You thought you wanted to do engineering. You realize you don't like it. So then you look for something else to do within a large company. And so that's when I came about sales, right? And again, I went into sales, eventually became director of sales, vice president of sales, and then president of sales and marketing for a $420 million company. And uh, in 2001, I said, you know what? I've, I've always wanted to start my own sales training and motivation business. So in 2001, I decided to do that. And that was a very, very scary experience. Before I forget to mention this, if you go on YouTube, I did a documentary. It's called The Motivator. So if you type in The Motivator and my name, Victor Antonio, you'll see a 60-minute movie. It was, again, it's a full documentary that tells you the whole story, the whole journey. So I'm giving you the short version, okay, Nikki? I'm giving you the short version. And so I started doing speaking and training, and I've been doing that since, again, 2001. And I love what I do. Because I get to meet people, I get to travel, I get to talk to people like you from other countries, which is fantastic. Well, I want to actually know, I, I want to know actually how you define a good salesman, an expert in the, in the field. What defines a good salesman? Oh, that's such a tough question. It's a tough question and it's a good question because it's, it's a big question. I think, you know, selling has changed. You know, when I first started selling, you know, let's say 20 years ago, you know, the Internet was just getting going. Right. It was just starting out. It was before you were born, Nikki. Right. And so the Internet it was just getting going. So people didn't have a lot of information. They didn't have a lot of access. They didn't have Amazon and all these large companies like Google, Facebook and all that. 
And so a salesperson was very important to help buyers make buying decisions. Today, if you fast forward, we have the internet, we have all these options for people to buy whatever they want to buy. So now the salesperson has a different role. So if you ask me what makes a good salesperson today, I say anybody who has, who understands their product or service, like really understands it to the point where you can make, they help you make a buying decision because that's what people want today. When you go online or when you go to a store to buy, let's say, a piece of electronic, right, a piece of equipment, maybe even a computer, you know, you kind of know everything you want. You almost know everything you need, but you still, let's say, you know, 80%, maybe 90%, you know what you need, but you still need that 10% to actually buy the thing. And I think that's where the new salespeople come in. The, the new salespeople are smart. They understand what you're looking for, what you're trying to do. And they can help you make that final decision that much better and that much faster. Well, I want to actually know more about your journey as a salesman because, you know, no one is an expert when they just start out. So how did you become a good salesman? I want to know your personal area of expertise and your personal tips. How I got there? How I got there? Okay, that's a great question again. Uh, you know, nobody's ever asked me these deep questions. I got to be honest. Uh so when I was engineer, I was traveling with salespeople. That's how it started. As an engineer, I was designing wireless systems, like, you know, the, the towers, the transmitters, receivers. So I, was, I started as an engineer traveling with salespeople. So in other words, we will go visit a customer together, the salesperson and I, and the salesperson would handle all the business side. And then anytime there was a technical question, I would answer those questions. So... Traveling with salespeople gave me the opportunity to watch what they do, to see how they sell. And during that journey of, you know, traveling with different salespeople, and this, this is important, because I was an engineer, I wasn't dedicated to just one salesperson. I always traveled with whoever needed me. So I got to see a lot of different styles of selling when I was traveling with these different salespeople. And, and it's interesting how you begin to understand what works and what doesn't work when you see different people in different situations. But my, my turning point came when I was traveling with a gentleman by, by the name of Jose Santana. And Jose Santana was from Spain. And he spoke Spanish and I speak Spanish. So we started traveling together to Latin America, to you know Argentina, Peru, Chile, all, all throughout Latin America. And I got to watch him sell. And he was like, to me, the, like the ideal salesperson. He was my role model because he sold, and this is important, he sold the way I wanted to sell. And if, if you're listening to this, it, it's important that you register this, that you have to sell the way you feel comfortable selling. There's some people who are very aggressive. There's some people who are very quiet. And then there's everything in between. You have to find your style of selling. And Jose sold the way I wanted to sell. So when I found him and he became my role model, I started to watch him, observe him, see everything he did and understand what he was doing. And I would ask him all kinds of questions. And so one day they need to hire another salesperson for Latin America. And so it was around that time that I said, you know what, now's the time to do it. Maybe I should go for into sales myself now. And that's how I made the jump into sales.
It was very scary, by the way, because I was giving up engineering. And if you think of like a, uh, engineering as an investment, I had invested all this time and money into being an engineer that now I was almost giving it up to be a salesperson. And that was very difficult for me to do. Wait, just want to point out before I actually go into another phase that you're the first Spanish-speaking person I hear that has no strong accent. I know if that's practice, you know, years of experience, but I don't see the accent in you. So I salute for that, mate. Uh, by the way, I'll give you the answer to that. It's a real simple one. Uh, my family moved from Puerto Rico uh, here to the United States. So I was born here. And so I learned, you know, it was Spanish at home, but it was English, you know, in the schools and on the streets, which is why I don't have an accent. When I speak Spanish, I don't have an accent. And so it's been a very good thing. It's been a blessing. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, I love having accent because I have a really strong accent for Bulgarians. And I don't know what, what our accent is made for mistakes with Russians. We're not, <laughs> but that's not a topic. So, by the way, I, I was in Bulgaria. I was in Bulgaria about a year and a half ago. Where exactly? I, I, um, I'm trying to remember the name. It's about an hour outside. I remember in just a bit. It's by, I know we stayed on a university campus. It was about an hour outside. I'll remember it in a bit. Uh, but man, I, I enjoyed it. I truly enjoyed it. The food was great. Is it like New Bulgarian University or the Tech University? I think it's New Bulgaria University. I'm trying to remember the name of the place. I'll have to, uh, as I'm talking to you, I'm going to text my wife. She'll remember. My wife has a better memory than me. But keep going in the interview and I'll find out what it is. Yeah, I mean, at least the food is great here. All right. So I want to actually know, when you actually got gained more experience into sales uh, and you started your company, who mentioned the, the, you know, the, your weak sites? Did you build a team right away who helped you, like, um, you know, uh, strengthen your weak sites? The, ask that again. I don't know if I understand the question. Yeah, yeah of course. So when you started actually making that company of yours, and you were more experienced into sales, how did you build the team which managed everything else? You know, the sales is your strong side, but what about the other sides, like communications, you know, uh, social media? Did you hire hmm. a team to make that? No, no, no. Uh, re uh, remember, you know, uh, and again, you're just a little younger than me. So around that time when I jumped out of corporate America, again, the Internet was just starting out. If you go back to 2000, uh, 2001, you realize that, you know, the internet was just beginning to take off the speeds and velocities weren't there like they are today. And back then you had to build your own website. So I remember building my own HTML website because I was an engineer, so I can build one myself. Right. And so I started learning all the software products that were out there. And so the important part was that as a salesperson, I learned everything I, from Jose Santana, right? One day, yeah. they chose me. Fast forward, I'm, I'm doing really well. I become vice president of sales for Latin America. So now I'm vice president of sales for Latin America. And now I have to manage people. And so the challenge was finding the right people to put on my team. That was very difficult. So I don't know if that's the question, but, you know, there's certain things I realized I had to learn. The biggest thing I had to learn when I started selling was how to communicate and how to present. 
So that was the one skill that I really worked on. And if you're listening to this podcast, I am telling you, guaranteed that if you can communicate and you're an effective presenter, you will always make more money. You will always get the better position. So that's what I practice, communications and presentation. We're all in the people's business, huh? Yep. By the way, right. so, by the way, the place was, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. This is Bulgaria. It was Blagovgrad? Yeah, Blagovgrad. There you go. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. So, yeah. Ooh, that's a little far from me. I'm, I'm on the northern side. Oh. Romania. <laughs> okay, okay. It was, we enjoyed it, man. And we went to the, I think there's a monastery we went to. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like where the it's an old monastery, very big. A lot of visitors go there. But anyway, I loved it. Well, there are a lot of monasteries in Bulgaria. The okay. biggest one is the real monastery, you know, the biggest in Bulgaria, which was, uh, you know, close to the capital. I mean, not so close, but still closer than where we are. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you know, the whole Balkans is a great is a great place. You know, uh, if you you know exclude the bad economics, the crime rate and all that. It's a pretty nice place to live. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's Greece, Romania, Bulgaria, and Serbia. All right. So I want to go more into the details of motivational speaking because, you know, that was the reason I messaged you at first because I love interviewing people like you. So let's, let's talk more about your career or journey more likely as a motivational speaker and, you know, keynote speaker at all. Mm -hmm. So the, I'll go back to 93, 94, 95. That's 1993, 1994, 95. I saw a gentleman speak. His name was Zig Ziglar. And when I saw him speak on stage, he was a sales motivation speaker. When I saw him speak, I was like, man, I want to do that. You know how you find something you want to do? You go, yeah, one day I want to do that. And again, all this is in my documentary on YouTube. And I had it in the back of my mind that one day I wanted to be a motivational speaker like Zig Ziglar. And so when I made the decision to leave corporate America, you know, I wanted to, as I mentioned earlier, I came from a poor neighborhood, right? I wanted to go back to our neighborhood and speak to the high school kids and the college students, right? So go back and speak to the high school students college students and that's how I started my motivational speaking career well how do you think that impacted your life to now like how do you think your role as a speaker impacted your life how did it change your life at all oh man I, I love the speaking business uh, it gives me the you know having your own business gives you the freedom to do what you want when you want I enjoy speaking I enjoy sharing information from the stage. And so if you ask me if it's how it's changed me, it's basically changed my life in that I live a very nice life where I get to travel, meet new people, you know what I mean, and share ideas. And it's a great place to be. So it's, it's you know, I like it better than corporate America. You know, I like it better than working for a company. I like working for myself better. Well, you know, when you actually go out there and speak, I, I mean, when you're more experienced, of course, why is the feeling like, do you feel like the adrenaline pumping on in your veins? Are you like calm? What is the, what's the feeling like the whole experience 
when you go out there, yeah. you know, you speak in front of maybe hundreds, maybe even thousand people. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, when I first started speaking, uh, you know, the crowds were really small, like, you know, 10 people, 15 people. And I would get a little nervous, right? And then as the invitations to speak to bigger crowds, like 100 people, 200 people, then I started getting nervous. The biggest crowd I've spoken to is 14,000. That's the biggest crowd, 14,000. Wow. And, you know, if you go online, you'll see some of the pictures. And it's, believe it or not, it's, it's to me, I get more intimidated by an audience of 100 than 14,000. Here's why. When you're talking to 100 people, you're looking at 100 people, right? It's more personal. It's like a small party. When you're doing 14,000, it's so big, you don't really see the faces. And so what I do is that when I first started out, I used to get nervous. Now I get better. I'm not as nervous anymore. And that's because I practice my speech over and over in my head. So by the time I get there, I know what I'm going to say. So if you know what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, you don't get as nervous. Well, I want to actually talk more about the, the person who inspired, you know, Zig Ziglar. Unfortunately, he passed away, I believe, before I was born or a couple of years after I was born. Mm -hmm. But, you know, his, uh, his legacy still continues. But did you have the chance to meet him in person or his, like, uh, children? No, it's, uh, so here's a, here's a great, you'll love this story. So 19, again, 93, 94, 95 is when I first saw him, right? So in 2016, which is what, uh, 13 years ago, uh, probably when you were born, right? Uh, uh, I was in, yeah. yeah. So I was invited to speak at this event in, in, in a place called Mississippi, which is another state. And Zig Ziglar was going to be there, right? And so I remember I was like super excited. I was like, like, I mean, I mean, it was, I was like a kid in Christmas, you know, ready for, you know, I was just like excited. And I remember they said, well, uh, Zig Ziglar is not really meeting anybody. You know, he's not, you know, allowing any guests to come by and see him. And I remember I was like, like depressed and I was like begging. I was like, yeah, but I'm a real fan. Like you got to let me meet the guy just, you know. <laughs> and so finally, well, finally they said, all right, all right, oh, you can meet the guy. And so I meet him and I mean, it was, it was amazing because there he was right in front of me. Right. And I'm talking like I didn't even, I'm talking, talking, talking. And then finally he says this to me, he goes, he says, well, you know who I am, who are you? And I was so excited to meet him. I didn't even introduce myself. I just started talking. Right. And so that was my first meeting with Zig Ziglar. And then the second time again was when we spoke on stage uh, my, my personal favorite story is that I was done speaking and I go back to the hotel, right? So he spoke earlier. I spoke later. I'm done speaking. I go back to the hotel. He's in the lobby, Nikki, and he sees me and he comes over. This is Zig Ziglar coming over to me. And he said, Victor, how did it go? And I'm like, wow, Zig Ziglar wants to know how it went. You know what I mean? And he was such a beautiful man. When he passed away, I was very sad. Man. He, was, he was a beautiful man. Well, you know, uh, Zig Ziglar got me that idea. So, you know, I think it's good to shorten your life story into one sentence. So let me ask you that question. 
who are you now after all these years of experience and developing yourself who are you now victor oh man i think i think i'm victor for the first time you know uh years ago uh i i remember it happened somewhere in 2000 oh, i'm gonna take a guess at this number in about 2000 something it ha something happened where i i decided nikki that I was going to speak my way. That's why I said earlier that you should learn how to sell your own way, but you should also learn how to speak your own way and live your own way. And I think that's the toughest thing. One of the questions I often get is, is Victor, what would you tell your younger Victor self? You know, what would you tell yourself if you were 13 years old? Knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself at 13? And what I would tell myself if, if I was 13, it was to be, to learn to be more myself and not worry about what other people think. You know, really don't worry about what other people think. It doesn't matter. You know, as long as you're not mean, you're always nice to people, you're always respectful, you should do things the way you want to do them. And even if you fail, so what? Figure it out. You know what I mean? But do it your way. Because when you do it somebody else's way, it never feels right. And when you do it somebody else's way, you know, and it doesn't work, you blame yourself. So I always say, be nice to yourself and do it your way. That's what I would tell my younger self. Do it your way. Okay, but let's say, you know, you like doing your way, but you know, even after all those failures, all those lessons learned, you still don't see success. Should you still keep pursuing it? Yeah, I remember, yeah, oh, absolutely. I heard, I heard somebody say this, he goes, uh, never give up, just rest. Never give up, just rest. In other words, take a break and then go at it again. It's almost like if you're trying to break a rock with a small hammer, right? Hammer as long as you can and then take a break. Don't quit. Just take a break, rest, and then go at it again. The thing is, you know, uh, you know what a Rubik's Cube is, right? A Rubik's Cube? Yeah. See, to me, life is like a Rubik's Cube. You just got to figure out the sequence, how to spin everything to get all the colors on one side. I think life is like that. I think when you're when you're trying something and it's not working, then you just have to change something. You got to flip one side, turn this, do that, flip that. You know what I mean? And I think the people that succeed are the people that keep flipping the sides, keep flipping the cube till they get it. Most people just give up. So to people who give up, I always ask the question. So now that you gave up, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no option. Why give up? So just keep flipping it till you get it right. Giving up becomes a habit. I mean, it always does, man. I I'll tell you one story if I can. This is my motivational story, and I love this story. Let's it's, go. It's and this is about. Uh, there was a movie called The Hunt for Red October, with Sean Connery. It was before your time, but it's a good movie about two submarines: a Russian submarine and a U.S. submarine. Well, when I got my first summer job as an engineer. I worked on a torpedo system. And so the way the torpedo system works is that they drop it into the water, right? They shoot it from the ship or they drop it from a helicopter. As yeah. soon as the torpedo enters the water, it turns on and it makes a circular pattern. It starts going in circles, right? And then the sonar system, that's the sound that boom, boom, that system turns on. And what a sonar does is that it, it, it sends out a audio signal an audio signal into the environment it bounces off an object and it comes back to the torpedo and the torpedo looks at it to determine if it's a sub another submarine or not right 
and so the torpedo will go after something, and let's say when it gets close, it realizes it's just a big rock underwater. The torpedo reprograms itself and then begins to hunt again. And then it may go after a whale. It goes, okay, that's not what I want. It reprograms itself. It starts hunting again, and now it goes after a school of fish, a bunch of fish. Here's the point. The torpedo keeps reprogramming itself until it finds its target. That's what we should do. When we go after something, we try something. As, as, small, you know, as, as small business owners or as an entrepreneur, you try something for the first time, and it doesn't work. You've got to think like a torpedo. What you're going to do is learn from your mistakes. Here's what I'll do next time. Here's what I won't do next time. And then hunt again. Because every time the torpedo went after something and it failed, it just learned and it got smarter. And so I think if you're a business person, an entrepreneur, you're going to do something. You're not going to get it the first time. You may fail 5, 10, 15 times, but every time you're getting smarter like the torpedo and eventually you'll hit your target. I mean, wow. Well, I don't know how you came up with that, man. I mean, I think it's just experience, but... I mean, thanks for sharing that value. It's, it's like really kind of not weird, but kind of unique story, not going to lie. And, you know, when I, I when they people ask me for failure, you know, I mean, I have a habit of, you know, giving up. Uh, you know, just just to research Thomas Edison. This guy failed like 10,000 times. You know, if you have the passion of Edison, you know, the innovation of Steve Jobs, you're mm-hmm. good to go, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. It, it, by the way, and the, the key word is, it, 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 there's two words, patience and learning. You got to learn and then be patient. I think a lot of people give up because they're impatient. They want it right now. They want success right now. You know, a lot of us see other people who are successful, and some people are very successful right away. And those are the people you always see. But what you never see are the people who it took five, 10 years to build the business before they became successful. See, that's more normal. If somebody just became rich in two years, that's not normal. But if they took five, 10 years you know, to get rich, maybe that's more normal. Now, if you can do it faster than 10 years, faster than five, congratulations. Just but don't, don't build the ego. That's right. Don't, don't, let that, don't let that impact you, because sometimes we think, well, I haven't succeeded in two years, I'm giving up. Well, maybe it, it's more than two years. Maybe you got to put in five before you get it. Here's what I will tell you, though, that once you get there, it's a beautiful place to be. It is worth the journey. Well, Victor, we're, we're going to end up here. I just want to ask you one last question, which is you talk about patience, but I want you to like different patience from waiting to my listeners because some things that waiting and patience is the same thing. So what makes patience different than waiting? What makes patience? That is such a great question. I'm going to have to think about that one. Uh, I, I think when you're, and I'll use it in the sales context, when you're talking to a customer, right, and you're letting them talk, and you're really listening to them because you want to learn, you're being patient. You know what I mean? When you're really listening to, you know, like you're asking me questions and I'm really thinking about these answers, right? So I'm being patient in thinking about, you know, what are you saying? What is it that you're asking me? Now, waiting in sales is when you're not listening. You're just waiting to talk. You ever, you ever like, sit down to talk to somebody, and they're not even listening. 
they're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can talk. And so to yeah. me, patience is the ability, and I'll tie it with empathy, the ability to stop your brain, you know, and really try to understand what somebody's telling you. One of the things I've learned over the years, and this is a great piece of advice if you can absorb it, is when I was younger, I had a big ego. And when people told me something I didn't want to hear, I immediately got defensive. And if I, di or if I didn't get defensive, I would discount them like that. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about, right? I would do that. Today, when people disagree with me, I ask myself, I just, I don't give judgment anymore. So if you told me something, you say, Nick, you say, Victor, I don't know if I like the colors that you use on your website. Instead of going, what do you mean you don't like them? Why not? You know, instead of saying something like that, I would ask you, I said, patiently, I would say, well, tell me what it is that you don't like. Help me understand what you're saying, because maybe I'm not seeing something. And so th there's a patience in that that maybe you'll learn something if you just slow down and actually listen and take the time. When you're waiting, you know, again, you're not really engaging. You're not listening to people. You just, you just, you're just looking out for yourself. So if I can put it simply, patience is ego-less. Waiting is all about ego. Well, that's a great way of saying it. And I, and I see that they're currently, you're not going to lie. So, all right. Victor, that was an amazing answer. Here we're wrapping off. I'm going to put all, I mean, all of your contacts in the description below because that was amazing you made. I thank you for your time. I hope you have an amazing day where you live. Mine was amazing. It's ending, unfortunately, but the next day will be even more awesome. All right. All right. I'll see you thank soon. You. And you have one big goodbye and thank you from all of my listeners. All right, man. Sending you a big hug and to your audience. All right. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye.